Sheldon Keefe provided some some clarity on what's going on with Matt Murray, saying that it's an ankle situation. He called it a flare-up. Uh, doesn't expect it to be a long-term issue, but I'm sure we'll hear more about that in the coming days. And, and with that, let's bring the guy that had a pretty big night last night, MJ, from compliments from the great one. You were dodging pucks. You had like one of your best outfits of the season in the all-black underneath. <laughs> Very good, MJ. All-around good night for you. Well, I don't even know where to begin, JT, with that effusive phrase. Am I happier that Gretzky said I was a good player? But he never really <laughs> told me that when I played. So I don't know if got a little bit of selective memory, but um, I appreciate the outfit shout-out. Even my daughter's like, well, Dad, you look good, but you can't wear that too many times. I'm like, okay, well, I appreciate that. Then we'll put that one away. But um, And, yes, the Matrix dodging of the puck is probably what I'm most pleased with because that would have that could have left a mark, <laughs> that one. So... Um, I was happy to not to get clipped late in the game. My hands in my pockets, like I'm, I'm paying attention, but I'm just kind of chatting, and the puck almost got me right in the forehead. So, um, eventful night, but nothing that wasn't uh, uneventful for John Tavares as well. I mean, obviously the night was his from the start to the finish, and, and I think it's just so predictable. Shouldn't be taken for granted that on a night where it'd be easy to get kind of lost in the emotion of the mm-hmm. event and the night. But he went out and played like exactly how he always plays. Steady, yeah. solid, make plays, pick up points, lead his team. You know, just like another night, even though it clearly wasn't just another night for him. Uh, but we shouldn't be surprised because that's kind of what he always does. Oh, absolutely. I-, I thought it was funny, too. After the game, they asked him, like, oh, like, how was it? I think Mark Masters asked him after the game. He's like, oh, you know, watching the-, the video montage, he's like, I was so excited, so happy. I'm like, dude, your face didn't even make a smirk. <laughs> Let alone Were you now? Like, Were like, you really? Couldn't tell. Couldn't tell there, pal. But you're right. Like that's just that's that's John Tavares and um, thousandth game last night. Like I said, picked up a, a couple of assists. Um, and I feel like he's been playing some really solid hockey of late. Like Johnny, would you say that maybe this is the best that we've seen JT play in the last two three years since his first season in Toronto? Um, I don't know. I mean, some of that might be recency bias. Like he's mm. playing very well. But I guess like he always plays very well. You know what I mean? Like he's been the, the the picture of consistency, really since he's arrived. You know, he just goes out there and he. The first year was tremendous. Whatever he had, the forty-seven goals or whatever he ended up with. But you know, he's been a thirty-five to forty goal scorer and a point-a-game guy, virtually the entire time with the Toronto Maple Leafs, which I think is exactly what they were hoping that he would be in behind Austin Matthews. But you do like the fact that when Austin Matthews is not available, like you have a guy who is comfortable in being the lead guy, has been that for most of his career, has produced um, commensurate with that responsibility for large portions of his career. So it's not like you're asking him to do something he's not done a whole bunch. And uh, and then the leadership factor as well. So uh, it's a luxury to at least have that he's able to step in with Austin out and play well. Um, and, and kind of keep his team on track until everyone gets back and healthy. Well, you get to stand between the benches. You have a better look at it than anybody else. Looks mm-hmm. pretty different without Austin Matthews out there. How different is it just, just being that close? How much do you notice like the loss of Austin Matthews? <laughs> well, I mean, you notice it a lot. You know what I mean? Like, it's, uh, You're taking, well, the best player in the world last year and taking him out of the lineup. Every lineup's going to look a little bit worse off. Um, you know, I, I think actually Kirkwood played pretty well last night as a second line center, but he's not Austin Matthews, and he's not even like you know that's not a slight. Nobody's Austin Matthews, so um, you know, just it, it tightens the margins the Leafs get to play with, right? When they're at their best, everybody healthy. There's a their roster is 
good enough, deep enough that they don't have to be absolutely A plus game to win. Like they can win with the B game, the B minus game, because they have so many different ways that they can get results. I think when you take Austin out, now you can't get away with a B minus game. Like everyone kind of has to get to the B plus level or maybe higher uh, because he's not around. So yeah, it's really different. Not nearly as good, not nearly as dangerous. Matchups get all different. Possession, defense, faceoffs, power play, you name it. Even though historically you look at the numbers, the Leafs are almost exactly the same with Austin Matthews as without him in the lineup. Um, yeah, it, it's really different. But if you're ever going to pick three weeks for him to be off, these are the three weeks, right? Yeah. Ottawa, Washington, Boston, Chicago, Columbus, Columbus. That's what he would miss if he misses three weeks. And maybe he might come back even healthier, provided that his knee you know, ends up feeling fine. But whatever else was bugging him, that should probably be pretty close to be gone as well because he's going to have a full three weeks off to rest, rehabilitate, not just the knee, but whatever else is ailing him, and be about as healthy as he's been in a long time for the stress drive. Uh, well, I mean, let's not beat around the bush then. We're on the you know, conversation of injuries, and Friday night was an eventful night. Oh, boy. Um, yeah. yeah, Sunday, a lot of fun. Friday, not so much. Matt yeah. Murray kind of pulls the pin after warm-up. Sansonov uh, has to make the start there. It, it didn't go so well. I mean, what was your reaction to hearing that Matt Murray was unable to go again against his former team? So, I mean, obviously I'm primarily disappointed for Matt Murray. Like, you know, it's not like he doesn't want to be healthy, right? He wants mm-hmm. to play. Um, but the, 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 the question marks that are raised for me are, um, you know, like he apparently has been practicing all the game, all the days that he was not playing, yeah. right. As you, as you would have to. And so if you're good enough to practice, um, like how is it that like you've been practicing for what, I guess 10 days really since he's kind of played. And, and then when it come, finally comes time to play, you can't like, that's the part that's a little bit was kind of, I don't know surprising or off-putting or whatever, you know, like if you're hurt enough that it might flare up, then maybe just take the time off the practice, like get healthy when you're not playing. Yeah. But he, he, he plays through all the practices and then he gets the part where he actually has to play. And now he's not able to go and like, I'm, and let alone what that, you know, put Samson off in a really tough spot. Samson off was probably uh, mentally looking forward to a day off and thinking he was going to get one and has earned one. And, and then he goes out and, and has got to play and doesn't play well. So, um, it's frustrating for Murray. It's frustrating for the Leafs. Um, you know, on some level, I don't know, the teammates were like, you know, we thought he was good and he's not. It might be frustrating there. And, and I guess what it brings up, though, and I don't even know if you can fault Matt Murray for this, but can you count on Matt Murray being healthy? Yeah, yeah I, I, just, I just don't know. Can you count on him being healthy um, the rest of the year? Like, he wants to be. He's going to work hard to be. But can you rely on him being that? I just don't, I just don't know that you can because, um, you know, history has shown us that he's had a really hard time staying healthy. Do you think that's a question that will need to be answered by the trade deadline? Or do you think that, regardless, that's something that the Maple Leafs, even if he's not healthy, they're going to have to deal with that situation internally? They don't want to deal with it, A.B. That's the thing, right? Like, they don't want to have... To deal with it they want to just be like no no he, you know he's going to be good like we believe he's going to be okay <laughs> they don't want to waste assets or dollars or energy thinking like do we need a third goalie do we need another guy in case this guy is not hurt like in case this guy's not able to go now if he's not able to go like how bad would it be if 
you get to the playoffs and you don't have both goalies. Um, it probably wouldn't be the end of the, you know, it's not the end of the world because Samsonov presumably would be healthy and if he plays well enough, he's playing every game anyways. But um, if they, they don't want to deal with that. Like, I don't know if it's like put your head in the sand kind of thing, but they don't want to deal with that question you just asked because they, they're just hoping that I guess in three, four weeks he plays, he gets healthy. And then when it comes time to play towards the playoffs, towards the trade deadline, I guess, primarily, he's healthy for those three weeks, his body responds, and they can kind of, they don't, they don't go down that road. They, they, if they're going to make changes, they're going to acquire other players, there are other players to do other things, not be another goalie. Well, would you, if you were Kyle Dubas right now, or, or would you just have, have to kind of roll with the Joseph Wall Samsonov thing? Like, could they even be thinking about it right now based on everything they want to acquire forward wise and, and blue line wise? Yeah. At, at least, like, his American League numbers have looked pretty good. Like, All star. 13 or 14 and 1 with like a 928 save percentage in the American League. He's been solid since yeah. he came back from injury. Yeah, well, I mean, what, what, you, you can't ask any more out of his performance. Although, I will say this, like, just. Uh, goaltenders are weird. I think Garrett Sparks, was he not the MVP of the American League one year? Yeah, he's still kicking it in the coast, too, I saw the other day. <laughs> right, so, but he's not kicking in the NHL, year. though, JT. Right? No, no, so he I is not. Like, <laughs> so, you know, I, I guess careful before we just assume yeah. because he's been great in the AHL. Now, he may be. I'm not saying he's not going to, but I'm also not saying he is going to. We have to wait and see him play. Um, I have no idea. I've never seen him play. I don't watch a lot of Marley games, so I, I can't tell you, but um, I would say that Right now, they would not be strongly considering that. If anything, it's going to go getting a guy, a veteran guy who's on a minimum deal, and you, you have him around and you, you can put him on whatever. You know what I mean? Like just uh, like an insurance policy that maybe just has experience. But that's it, something that will cost like nothing. You'll cost a 19th rounder. Like we're just going to bring him in to have him around. He might be considering that, but I think that would be about it because – they just don't have the dollars or the assets to chase much else. We're chatting with Mike Johnson, our TSN hockey analyst. Uh, TJ Brody made his return last night, though, and um, you know, I thought he looked pretty good. thought that he settled the blue line, settled Morgan Riley. I thought that pairing together looked pretty solid. Um, mm-hmm. And he just seems to round out the blue line when you look at him like first through third pair. Uh, I mean, how much – it's a simple question, but when you look at how this team has played the last little bit, I mean, T.J. Brody in that lineup just makes his blue line just click, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, I mean, so much of that is, is, is slotting, I guess, or whatever you want to call it. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's getting everyone in the right pairs. Like, we know the Swedes together have been really good when they've been asked to play, like, kind of second, third pair of minutes and responsibilities. And, and they've crushed that role. Now, when Brody plays with Riley, you know, I think we saw Morgan Riley kind of get up and down the ice about as well as we've seen him in a long time. Some of that's his own health. Some of that is, is, is P.J. Brody kind of helping him get out of his own end. That's why it makes it work. Um, then you have, you know, Giordano Hall. Like, these are the six defensemen they have with Mudden not coming back. When they're all healthy and they play together in the pairings we saw them last night and play well, they can be really good. But if you take any one of them out, like, you know, the strength is in their numbers and in their roles. If you start fiddling with that, they're not nearly as good as long as you let them go in that way. They'd be fine. I thought it was like for a guy who hasn't played in a while, and I don't know if he's, you know, trusting his rib, he kind of had one contact practice. I thought TJ Brody looked just very comfortable and, and kind of right in game timing in as much as game shape. 
Do you think that play that Morgan Riley scored last night, when when he you know jumped into the rush and went and scored, mm-hmm. do you think he would have made that with Lilligren or Hall as a defensive partner, yeah. or did it help? Oh, no, yeah. You think? I, I just oh, yeah. I, I look at Riley like the fact that he hasn't scored this year. I'm almost second guessing and wondering maybe it has something to do with the fact that no. nothing does have trust. No, okay, I no. thought maybe that had something to do with it, but. No, I don't think so. I mean, listen, I've watched Morgan Riley obviously very closely this year many times, and like he's up the ice and he's he's chasing plays. And mm-hmm. what I don't think would have happened, and this is where TJ Brody helps him, is that if you notice, Morgan Riley before he scored that goal actually led the rush. Like he had the zone entry yeah. himself. Yeah. I don't know if he gets those opportunities with different defensemen because they don't get the puck out of their own end quite as well. They don't break up the plays quite as well, so he doesn't have the chance to jump. Uh, as often as he does when he gets to play with TJ because TJ does a great job of, of breaking up plays and allowing him to get up the ice. But he tries. <laughs> Lilgren, Sandine, Hall, whoever. Like, he's been trying to go. He probably just hasn't had as many opportunities because he plays in his own end more when he's not with Brody. That's a good point. Okay, also with an absolute rip over the weekend was AB's guys, Pierre Engvall. Can we? Can I start calling him Big Play Pierre? I don't know why I want to call him Big Play Pierre after that. You know what? You night. can call him whatever you want. We're not awesome. going to correct you. But that is AB's guy, and he's been heating up lately. Have you liked uh-huh. the way the Leafs' kind of bottom six has, has looked lately? Have you felt like uh, their depth pieces have stepped up, and him specifically? So it's interesting, because I kind of asked this of Sheldon yesterday. I'm like, you know, you look at the numbers, and, like, you, you can put together an ugly-looking board with, you know, Kerfoot 1-12, and, and Anderson 1-10, and, and Engvall 1-9. and nine. It's like, that bother He's like, not really, because, you know, we're not – the way their team is built, they're not expecting their bottom six to do a lot of scoring. They know they can score, and they want them to score. And when they do, they are so much better of a team mm-hmm. if they get anything sort of consistently from the – from the bottom six. But if you look at the numbers kind of like on the whole for the year, which is like all you could do for bottom six guys, you can't be like, well, 10 games they haven't scored. Well, they're only going to score once every 10 games anyway. So, like, Engvall is on pace for what? 18 goals or something like that? Yeah. You know, Camp is supposed to score 12. Kerfoot's going to get 14. You know, like, you know, like these guys are all going to kind of chip in around 10, which is what the Toronto Maple Leafs are needing. I think what they need out of them more than just kind of offense, which is I think is almost fine at this point, production-wise for their roles, is as long as they can kind of, like, tilt the ice. Even if they don't score. Like, don't play in your own end. Get in the offensive zone. Draw penalties. Like, be a positive influence that sets the table for the guys that score all the time. And if they can do that, then that's exactly what they need their guys to do. And I think, um, you know, they've generally done a decent job of that. Doesn't that change come postseason, though, MJ? I thought we're going to have Devontae Smith-Pelly on in a little bit, and I thought he was good in our pregame yesterday in kind of reminding us the the Nick Paul effect or the Devontae Smith-Pelly effect if you're the 2018 Washington Capitals. Like, the top guys, the way he put it, was the top guys canceling one another out when it comes to a postseason and the like the, the more third-line, fourth-line guys generally being the difference in, in the postseason. Um... Yeah, so I mean, <laughs> I don't agree necessarily. Yeah, that's okay. Like, I mean, it's good when your third and fourth liners can be a difference maker. And Nick, and listen, Nick Paul, he scored like those massive goals in Game Seven. Like, you can't take that away, and that was the difference. But to me, the difference in the Leafs not winning in the last several years when they've had these elimination games. Check out their power play. Yeah. Check out their power play in those elimination games. They're like zero for thirty-five. 
Oof. Like, oh, it would be great if they had, you know, David Comp to score. Sure. That would be nice. What would also be nice is their best player scoring a power play goal. Yeah, that would so, be like, great. Well, <laughs> while, while it is it is a team thing and, and, and the depth guys will be remembered for every time they have a moment that is unexpected and people will say, well, that's why they're there. That's the difference in the playoffs. To me, Nathan McKinnon is the difference in the playoffs, not not Alex Newhook, mm. right? Like, you know, it's nice when one of those guys does something, but I think it's the big guys that drive it, and it's the big guys generally that have not allowed Toronto in those deciding games to win. Now, we'd like a Nick Paul moment if you're a Toronto Maple Leaf fan, but, um, yeah, so... I don't know if it changes. I don't know if it changes. Um, so, but but also, Julia, it's also worth considering. I don't know if the top nine looks the same in the playoffs as it does today. Like I do think the Leafs are going to be shopping for a middle six winger. Maybe if they're going to go big, big for a centerman. But like you know, I don't know. Even if it's not Timo Meyer, if it's a Barbashev, if it's somebody else, like they may look a little differently you know, come playoff time, and maybe then we can expect more offense from a third line in the playoffs. We're chatting with Mike Johnson, our TSN hockey analyst. Um, so, Johnny, I'm curious about this game on, on Wednesday, right? We're, we're talking about the playoffs. Oh, and currently, Leafs only nine back. No, they're 11 back of Boston, but they could be yeah. within nine if they win this uh-huh. game on Wednesday. Uh-huh. If they do this with uh-huh. Boston dropping three straight, is there still go. hope for a division race here, Johnny? Not a chance. Not a chance in hell. No. No. There's no chance. So they, even if they win, so they're nine, Boston has a game in hand. Yeah. Um, like, so do you think that there's a good chance that the Ottawa Senators are going to leap over eight teams and catch whoever? Washington. <laughs> no. What? Ottawa's only nine back. Toronto's 11. Like, like to, Ottawa's closer to the playoffs than Toronto is to Boston. So, no. I mean, with I mean. Never say never. There's always a possibility. I guess I think the likelihood of the Bruins going on a real tumble. They have 80 points now, right? 81 points. Yeah. They have 31 games left. Quick math. They take me to 112 if they play 500 hockey. They're going to be better than that. Yeah. <laughs> like you know, I mean, like everyone's 500 in the NHL, and so they're going to be better than that. So I just think the numbers just <laughs> it's almost impossible for the Leafs to go on that kind of run. So um, it is. Fun to get exciting. You see them lose three in a row. All of a sudden, like, oh, maybe they're vulnerable. They have 81 points in 51 games. Like, like I don't know about how vulnerable they are. Maybe their minds are turned towards the all-star break, whatever. But, um, no, I mean, I think the more important race is not Boston. It's Tampa. Yeah. It's all about Tampa and not um, – and trying to maintain home ice. And that race is very much on and worth noting and tracking and, and paying attention to because – I know the Leafs have lost Game 7s at home, and they've lost Game 7s on the road. But you'd much rather be playing Tampa in Game 7 at home as opposed to in Tampa, where I think the, the Bolts just ran off their, what, 12th straight win? So, like, I don't want to have to be down there trying to win a Game 7 uh, when they've been that good uh, in what's going to be basically a toss-up series anyways. Yeah. So that's the race that matters more so than trying to track down Boston. I, I've been having this conversation with a few people lately, and I think you guys are having this discussion, I think, on Overdrive on Friday, too, where you know the guys were almost saying, well, who cares about home ice? They've lost home ice the last couple of years. But I, I mean, care. It, it gives you a better chance to win. You, you could stay away from that Sorelli-Matthews matchup. You could deploy. Like, I don't understand the mindset of people who say, well, it doesn't matter because they've lost before. It gives you a much better chance to win, though. And that's what the Maple Leafs need to do here in a Game 7. 
seven. I don't I don't like that thought process that's going around Leafs Nation right now. Well, I, I don't know. I think that might be just oh, leading that charge because it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Like the Leafs have the, the fourth best record in the league at home right now. Mm-hmm. Um, their record is much better, as is just about not every team, but so, most teams is much better at home for a reason. Like yes, you might only be fractionally better at home on the, than on the road, even less so in the playoffs where travel is not an issue because travel is a big part of of the home record advantage during the regular season, but. I still want every little snippet of advantage that I can get. I want it. Right. And if that means, and, and of course, home ice is, a, is, is not even a little one. That's about as big as you can almost have uh, going up against Tampa, what's going to be a very difficult series. So, um, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm not buying what I was selling there. I'm not buying if they think that the that home ice isn't important. Cause I think it, I think it is. And I think it, you know, if they get game seven, they would much rather be at home than on, than on the road for that first round. Sensible man, Johnny, real sensible man. Well, if I agree with you, I'm not so sure, but we'll take it. <laughs> that seems like a very, very backhand compliment there. But I'll take yeah. it. I'll take it. Kind of like, kind of like when Gretz told you, if he had skill like you, he'd be able to score. I mean, did I mean, you take that as a compliment or not? Because the way I looked at it, I was like, well, if Johnny did have that skill. He didn't score as man's Gretzky. Was he calling you a lazy player? Um, I think he would. I think what he was saying was just my skills. My skills would have been very transferable to '82. <laughs> <laughs> if I played in 1982, I could have been a 50 goal scorer. Uh, uh, no, Gretz was being nice because he knew I was on the broadcast. Um, yes, Gretz was fun to have as a coach. He he, he never told me anything remotely like that uh, <laughs> because I would have been wrong. As uh, as I kind of was chuckling, I'm like, yeah, I wish I had anything remotely like your skill, but. Um, yeah, all good. And always good to get Gretz. Like, Gretz, the funny thing was, that was unplanned. Like, he just popped into the booth that they had a gourd. That's and funny. then we're going to put him on camera, just like, hey, Gretz is in the building, whatever. That's always cool to see Wayne. And then, and then they put the headset on him, and then he just wanted to do color. Like, I, I took the last <laughs> eight minutes of the first period off. Like, That's oh, awesome. Gretz, like, he didn't go anywhere. I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to say anything. Nobody wants to hear what I have to say when they can listen to Wayne Gretzky. So, yeah, have at it, Wayne. Take, take the whole period. Fine with me. So, uh, I appreciate him giving me, uh, you know, seven, eight minutes off there in the first. Yeah, it was perfect, too, with Ovi in the building, got to talk about the yeah. gold chase. Like, it honestly yeah. was, was kind Shame of a perfect game to have. didn't have a fancy fur jacket the way that Drake did when he hopped on with uh, Jack and Leo. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Yeah. but it's yeah. still different pretty vibe, cool. Different vibe. <laughs> but, but I was to say, it wouldn't be the first time he took me on the bench for seven minutes. So. Right, nice. <laughs> nice one. Wow. Nice, nice, nice. Uh, appreciate the time, as always, MJ. We'll chat again next week, pal. All right, squad. Have a good week. All right. There he goes. Mike Johnson, our TSN hockey analyst.